0: Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with The Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life, this week, we have Bridget Riser on the phone, and you may hear the last name Riser and think, well, didn't you already have a guest with that name? And yes, we did. We had her older brother, Mike, who I met in college at the University of Pittsburgh. But I've actually known Bridget and considered her my own friend for uh, at least a decade now. She is a licensed professional counselor who treats anxiety and depression across the lifespan She got her bachelor's degree in film, and after bartending for a few years and watching The Cell one too many times, she went back for a master's in counseling and started a professional counseling career. However, that happened just as the pandemic came on, when they changed a lot of the field that she had trained for, so she still has her job and she's doing a great job, but she obviously had to adjust to all that. And uh, bottom line is that she loves helping people untangle their relationships and doing dream analysis. So we'll get into all that and more. Welcome to the show, Bridget.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I was so happy to see you at your brother's wedding. Um, Also, we had his wife on the show, so uh, it's all family here on Coffin Talk. Very nice. And we have a standard three questions that we ask every guest at the beginning of the show, which is, um, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of?
1: So I'm 33. Um, I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, and I am... Definitely a millennial. I think I'm right in the middle of that one.
0: All right. And do you like the term millennial? I'm just curious.
1: I do. I identify with, you know, sort of what I see as the ethos of millennials.
0: Awesome. That's really cool. Um, and because you're a counselor and because you just used the word ethos, I'm going to make you explain to our audience what you meant by that.
1: Um, So I think what I mean by that is sort of the public perception of like who and what millennials are versus kind of the millennials I know and the values we ascribe to more so as a group, right? So this disconnect between millennials being talked about a lot in the media as being young, kind of irresponsible and adrift. Um, we're not that young at this point. Um, and we're very, very hardworking um kind of doing our best to stay afloat in a pretty unforgiving economy without getting, I don't think, too demoralized as a whole.
0: I think that was fantastically accurate. Um, I am considered by some an elder millennial, which is like a hilarious term. But uh, I identify more just by a hair, like with a generation ahead of that one. But I kind of identify with neither. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that I think millennials work too hard. That's actually my biggest critique of quote that your or our generation. Um, and so it's funny because yeah, like I've heard the media like say like these blah blah blah, but I'm not noticing that. And then also I've had a couple Gen Z guests on on purpose to try to also show that they're not like quote unquote this like lazy, <laughs> you know. Um, but but how much of that do you think has to do with like aging? Like do you think we just like start labeling people when they're 18 and then we're kind of unforgiving about that.
1: That's such a good question. Um I don't know. I think it I think it shifts, yeah, with age for each generation, right? Like there is sort of this weirdly built-in animosity. Um like even if you I guess you're an exception, but if you look at how kind of millennials and Gen X talk about like Gen Z who's not that much younger, um it's with a lot of derision a lot of the time. Yeah. So I don't know. It does seem to be kind of a an inherent part of like this aging dynamic.
0: Yeah. And I've always found it like fascinating because I have tons of friends, my own age. I have less friends, like much younger than me, but enough. And then I have so many friends who are older than me and I've always enjoyed like talking about life with people who aren't in the exact same position as me. So yeah, the Gen Z thing, it's hard, because I and I will say this to any Gen Z person face-to-face, I do notice that customer service and interaction with Gen Z is radically different. I'm not saying it's worse, but it's not at all what I'm accustomed to. I don't know if you've noticed that at all.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's true. I think the socialization has just been different, and um, I guess that feels, if it's unfamiliar, it feels negative, but I don't know that it necessarily is
0: yeah well, you just use my favorite buzzword and Alana's least favorite buzzword, which is socialization because as we raise a kid together and as I just like constantly think about my life and where things went huge air quotes wrong um mm-hmm. for me it's like i just I never blame my parents and I never blame like particular people. I just always throw all my blame at socialization um so I'd love to ask you since your career is in like analyzing this kind of stuff. Like just kind of what do you feel about socialization just to start as like an easy kind of topic
1: oh that's an easy topic (laughs) well
0: I just meant like you don't have to I'm not going to ask like the most specific question I have
1: okay fair (laughs) enough I mean it's it's complex right because if you think about so you're it sounds like you're separating a little bit sort of individual parenting choices from the idea of like a larger socialization but I think they're very interconnected right Mm because parents are also socialized within a specific you know, cultural context. Um, So kind of parsing those things out is, is I think really challenging.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, the reason it comes up so often with Alana, my wife and I, is that um, I feel guilty when I tell my daughter, like, you can't wear that. That's like not appropriate. Cause like, in my opinion, I'm like, that's fake. Like you should be able to wear anything you want. You don't need to cut your hair. You know, like I know my list of like shoulds for society reason versus like how I actually feel. And that's like always the, the the divide is I'm like, well, we do want to bring on an airplane and like take flights with her. So I can't just be like, be you scream whenever you feel like it, you
1: know? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's such a good point because you're right. I think there is a lot of emphasis right now in terms of, I guess, parenting and just in general about being yourself, not being afraid to be individual in ways that are, Sort of safe and not necessarily harmful to anyone else. But the other side of that coin is that we do live in a society, right? So there are always going to be kind of rules and expectations. And if you're not adhering to them, you're going to have trouble navigating it.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, because this started with like talking about generations and Gen Z. What I noticed too is that like COVID hit right when Gen Z was air quote, like graduating, like meaning like obviously it's yeah. more of a 10 year span thing, but like the average general Zer was, like, about to, like, go into, like, high school or go into the workforce, and, like, COVID froze socialization, like, really weirdly. Um, And kind of just to stay on topic, but to make it about you, um, how was COVID for you? Because you mentioned it in your bio.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, COVID for me was, um, it was interesting, right? It was challenging, of course, but I, um, my experience was, that I was just starting my new career in mental health. Um, I started in 2020. So, or maybe like, right, I think like December of 2019, right? So it was, I had been doing therapy in person for just a couple months before everything changed about everything. So the way that we were doing therapy, um, we switched to virtual. I luckily um, was able to, hang on to my job you know a lot of people had a tough time with that in the mental health field especially like a lot of people in smaller agencies or private practice were very challenged by having to make the switch to virtual um the company that I was with at the time did that fairly efficiently although we were doing group therapy over screens which was bizarre yeah yeah, right. So I learned how to do group therapy, which is complicated, you know, in a group of people sitting in a room together, and then basically as soon as I sort of got the hang of that all the whole rule book went out for how to facilitate a group. Um, so that was that was very strange and also, you know, working in I guess I should mention the the program that I was working at was a high level of care. So partial hospitalization program, basically it's every day of the week. Um, It's right below residential or like um, hospitalization would be in terms of psychiatric illnesses. So, you know, people who have very acute symptoms of mental illness um, now having to face being completely socially isolated, being stressed out about, you know, a disease that had no vaccine or cure for quite a while, um, sort of all of the things that might, you know, elevate somebody's anxiety and depression were hitting this population at the same time as hitting all of the therapists working with this population, right? So it was a bizarre experience of having to go home every day I lived alone. Um, you know, go home every day, you know not see anyone not do anything doing all the pandemic things that everybody else was doing and then coming back to work the next day, kind of having people ask me for answers or for comfort um and being in like a really similar boat to a lot of people
0: Wow, that was a, that was so interesting and I have so many like tangential questions, but I'm gonna keep it focused and ask you about mental health because I'm constantly wondering this and I know there's no real answer. And I also know it's almost like a chicken versus the egg kind of thing, but do you think there's been a rise in mental illness or do you think there's been a rise in awareness of mental health and discussion and naming of things as illness and stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure it's a little column A and a column B, but if you had to pick or can you pick, do you believe one is happening more than the other?
1: For sure. Um, I would, I would endorse the column A, column B answer. Um, I do think there's there's been a genuine uptick in mental illness and in, in symptoms of mental illness, sort of in people across the board.
0: And like, do you think in like the last twenty years, thirty years, hundred years?
1: Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, definitely in the last like five years okay. or so. Yeah. So, so COVID for sure is is kind of its own um, entity in terms of what it's done to people's mental health. But I'm also you know, very much on the um, the social media as a as a detriment to mental health bandwagon, um, and that's been that's been going on for you know a little while as well. So, I mean, I think those are two big factors for sure.
0: Yeah, and like, I mean, it was fun because like when I um, saw you at your brother's wedding, we got to talk like a lot more then I got to talk to a lot of other people, which was awesome. So I feel bad because I know I asked you some of these questions and I knew at the time I was like, well, I'm going to end up re asking these, but um, I am curious, like, what is it like to be a human? And then like to some people, you're like a God to them. Like you're like, you you can help them. You have like this warm, compassionate heart and all that. But then like a lot of people get reliant on that. And so I've always wondered this as someone who hasn't had a lot of experience in therapy, like, when do you know to like cut the cord with a client? Like, hey, this is like, I, I wish I was helping you, but I'm not. You're just like using me for support.
1: Um, well, I mean, to some extent, you know, therapy is using someone for support. Um, so that's not necessarily you know unhealthy at baseline. I think for me, my approach to therapy sets myself and my clients up for. Um, pretty firm boundaries and for not running into kind of a, a dependent dynamic as often. I mean, it, it happens, right? It'll happen with anyone. But um, I I utilize kind of a, um, like a little more of a, an old school, like less in vogue approach these days, which is the idea of like the blank screen from psychoanalysis. So not as hardcore as, you know, not saying anything during session, but I, I'm really, um, careful about sort of redirecting every challenge to kind of like coming from the person themselves in terms of the answer, right? So I'm very upfront about like, I don't give advice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll help you weigh the pros and cons, but you're going to come up with the answer. Um, and I also don't disclose much personal information at all, um, So, yeah, I think those that approach makes it less likely that people are going to kind of look to me for answers. Um, They look to me for a lot of comfort and for a lot of help kind of taking down their own barriers to finding those answers. But they kind of know from the outset that I'm never going to tell them like, hey, here's here's what this is and here's what you should do.
0: Cool. That's really cool. That's an interesting answer. And I'm, I'm like always just interested in all this stuff because to me, like, okay, I, I believe healthcare should be universal. I don't think it should be free. Cause that's like a silly way to look at it. I just think no matter what all people should have access to healthcare, because if you were in a tribe, of course you would help one of your tribes, men or women, like if they got sick. So why, when we're like a nation quote unquote tribe, do we not do the same? So with all that said, and that's more for my audience than you, um, you know, I feel like mental health counts. And like, this should also be very accessible. And especially for disenfranchised people, people who don't have high income streams and lots of free time. So I feel like we're at this like, enormous crux in not only the American society, but in the world with like, how do we address, like all of this? So I'm curious, like, because you what you said was really accurate, in my opinion, which is like, of course they're using you, but that's kind of the point. Like people need help. People need someone to bounce ideas off to see if they're crazy. <laughs> like, so do you think, wish, like hope that we'll get a better system where like every person could have a personal therapist or do you think that's not at all like realistic, nor is it really a solution?
1: Um. Well, I do hope that we'll get a better system at some point than we have in place right now. There are a lot of, service gaps especially at kind of those higher levels of acuity um we are you know s- systemically not very good at handling suicidal ideation um and things you know the kind of like really severe self harm things like that in terms of the idea of um you know everybody having access to i guess just talk therapy um i think that would be great um i don't know that everyone would need it necessarily or need it more than sort of periodically but it's for sure not gonna do any harm to people i don't i wouldn't imagine
0: cool yeah i just i want to link this and i've been heading here to like spirituality so i kind of want to like freeze this conversation and then ask you uh not only what your sense of spirituality if any is but like how did that change over the course of your life? And then I want to ask you, what do you think happens when you die? So you can kind of answer all that in one question, or I can ask them one by one. Hey, everyone. After more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to Mikeyop.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. And the book is named Martyr, and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it, and I think you'll love it.
1: Um, sure. So... I was raised Catholic by, um, very devout Catholic parents. Um, and so that was, you know, what shaped my spirituality in like a very holistic way. I went to Catholic school. We went to church every Sunday, you know, like very, um, very much practicing. And over the course of my life, as I got a little older into like late teens, kind of college age, I started to have a lot of problems with just the Catholic Church as an institution um, and kind of went back and forth on that whole whole thing. Um, But I guess kind of nowadays, I would consider myself to be Catholic, but to be sort of a lapsed um, or non-practicing, I guess, Catholic. So the whole belief system, I still... Subscribe to it still guides my day-to-day life um but i don't love the the patriarchal uh, church itself if that makes sense
0: it does make sense and i've actually really i've never heard that answer on this podcast and i've only heard it twice um and oddly enough from men that's really interesting so do you believe then in heaven and hell yeah and so you said that like it drives you like like that's your kind of governing so do you find comfort in the idea that you're going to go to heaven? I'm assuming you think you're going to go to heaven.
1: <laughs> I mean, it changes it changes day by day, right? But I mean, that's my, that's my hope. I think I'm doing well enough that that would be the more likely outcome. Um, although, you know, with Catholics, it kind of depends on which priest you ask, yeah. but, you know, how well you're doing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting for me talking, you know, as part of my job with a lot of, different people with different belief systems and walks of life and dealing pretty explicitly with death or with the fear of death. Right. Um, So kind of thinking about that comfort piece of the question, I think it it's so comforting to believe in an afterlife. And for me, that part of like the Catholic faith never really wavered um so there's never been a point in my life where I've been really afraid of death per se um like obviously not knowing when or how is is kind of scary when you start to think about it but like just the reality of having to die at some point doesn't actually cause me dread when I think about it um which is different from a lot of people that I talk to (laughs)
0: That's kind of why I started the podcast was I was shocked by how few uh, Americans, I'm going to keep it really local, uh, enjoy or like will even partake in a conversation about death when it's like off the cuff and like random. So in other words, like it's okay at like some like someone's grandmother dies and you say like, you know, my condolences and they they might like give a little quip of like their philosophy. But that's like the only time it's okay. And so it's funny because the sense of dread is what I'm trying to combat but I'm not trying to combat it by like telling people this is what happens I'm just trying to get people to think the same way you do which is like well how can I create a life system and belief system and and governance system of the universe that provides me with the best system for me to be my best and feel my best and uh, I was just thinking yesterday I was like chopping vegetables for dinner about how hilarious it is that like I need to believe in an afterlife and a before life otherwise I really have trouble, um, putting up with a lot of like the crap that I do put up with. And I was just thinking about how that's funny that that's like my main reason. It's not about dread of dying. It's not about like fears. It's about like when I get upset that the world has a lot of greed or like this or that has happened to other people or that this just happened to me. It's so easy for me to just be like, well, you're here to learn lessons.
1: (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. I feel I feel that.
0: Yeah. And so with you like cuz I've never ever believed in heaven because it wasn't introduced to me. That's the reason. It's cuz like I I grew up quasi-Jewish. My parents like taught me certain prayers and we did certain rituals, but they never talked about like Jews believe in an afterlife. Jews don't believe, you know, that was just never talked about. So as I got older, of course, my brother like majored in religious studies and I would like learn things and my um, wife's parents are both Orthodox Jews. So now I know like so much about Jewish beliefs that it's like hilarious, but I did not grow up with those and I didn't grow up investing in them. But like, I can tell you I was jealous, jealous, jealous with like the biggest capital J ever of all my friends who believed in heaven. Cause it sounds amazing. Um, So I'm curious, like the flip side of that for me, the reason I was okay with not believing in heaven is I was like, well, at least I'm not scared of hell. So I want to ask you just directly when you, when you said, well, I'd like to think I'm going there. Like, in your darker days or moments when you actually start to think like, what if I go to hell, what does that do to you?
1: Um, yeah. So that's where the the whole Catholic guilt thing that's really famous comes in. Um, It feels bad. It feels really bad. And I've had, um, you know, when I was growing up and sort of more steeped in, in that community, um, different priests adhering to sort of different levels of rigidity about the rules right so uh, a formative experience for me was that throughout my high school days when I was super involved in church activities and going to church and all of it uh, the priest that we had at the time at our church was like a very hellfire priest he was he said that if you you know like there's no such thing as mortal sins or venial sins, which like just for people who aren't familiar is basically mortal sins are really bad, you know, murder, you go straight to hell. Venial sins are, you know, telling a lie, things that are not good, but probably not going to damn your soul. Um. So yeah, so like not going to church on a Sunday, mortal sin, right? You can't take communion anymore if you didn't come last week. So yeah, so I have done some thinking, right, about like along those lines of you know I must be, I must be a terrible person by certain standards, and I've had to actively, I guess, redefine some of those rules for myself. Um, spend a lot of time thinking about like my own moral compass and how it fits in. Yeah, it's it's hard.
0: I mean, that was a great answer, and that was what I was not hoping to hear, but that, that does help answer some of my question, And I guess the only other side question I want to ask you is like, how do you sell yourself on a concept of God when you know that God, depending on which priest you ask, uh, would be like, would want you to be, like feel guilt and fear and feel bad and like scared? Like, how do you answer that?
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my personal answer to that would just be that priests are as fallible as anybody else, right? So looking at, priests as the, you know, authorities on, on all of this is sort of why, like, the whole church structure doesn't really work for me that well, because they, you know, they have different ideas, right? Um, So having a general consensus and having people kind of talk and debate about it, which is, you know, what the clergy does, I think is helpful. But, you know, I think ultimately, with any religion, you got to kind of pick and choose, what works for you and you know, what really makes sense to you and just subscribe to those parts.
0: Yeah. And that's what, um, I've never been an atheist, nor have I ever been a like religion hater. But when I have periods of like, this is so frustrating. If this religion didn't exist, these people wouldn't have this opinion. And then they wouldn't like the, one of the things I sell myself on is like the average person actually, it, it totally benefits from having religion in their life. Like I, I cannot deny that at this point in my life. I've, I've met, way more people who religion is helping than hurting. Um, And so it's weird because, like, I do agree. I think the second a human starts talking about God like they know more than you, that's just crazy to me. That's, like, it's arrogant. It's, like, so... But when a human talks about, like, their experiences in an attempt to help you not ignore some pretty obvious signs of, like, ethics, in my opinion, then that's also, like, you know, interesting. So um, I was... I was and I am very surprised to hear that you believe what you believe, which is why I love this podcast. Um, and I can explain why it's because
1: I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no, I'm not going to leave you like, uh, cause you're stupid. Uh, no, because um, I, the reason I'm totally surprised is that I've met you at different points in your life and you've never not been on the trajectory you're on, which is all about helping other people. Um, and so like, it's so obvious to me. Like I was, I was so happy to hear about your career when we met at the wedding again, like just could not be happier because a it's good for the world and B it's good for you. It's like a symbiotic like meeting. And this is what I've noticed about like why I brought up young people, give people until their thirties. Like, like let, like I bartended for years and like, you know, did other things. Like, I, I just think it's really weird. Like, We shouldn't say like, hey, don't ever work and don't quote unquote grow up. But like growing up isn't working. Growing up is like figuring out what you want to do with your time, which is different than just like finding a job. So like that's why I'm phrasing it the way I am. I'm surprised that you had Catholic guilt your whole life because that would, in my opinion, have seemed to impede you from being the actual person I've always seen you as, which is like a very open, helpful, loving person. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting.
0: Yeah, so like my stereotype of Catholic guilt is that it makes people less friendly and helpful to others. Actually, I know that sounds weird, but uh, that's my
1: stereotype of it. Oh, that's that's so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I can see where that like stereotype comes from, and I again, I think that goes along with kind of the rigid camp of things, right? But yeah, I mean, my my trajectory in terms of picking a helping profession for my life's work um, has a lot to do with Catholicism. So Catholicism is, is big on social justice and kind of uh, putting, you know, putting yourself, putting your money where your mouth is, right. In terms of deeds and charity um, and a little bit less about kind of proselytizing. So to me to me it tracks um but no it's interesting to hear of like that stereotype being something that would inhibit the the wanting to help people
0: yeah and kind of and that's why i said i was going to put a pause on the conversation about mental illness and get in all this is that for me like my solution to mental illness is like threefold one you need to have strong connections like you can't live alone and not have a lot of friends and stuff like i i believe very strongly that You don't need to have a spouse and you don't need to have your own children, but you need to have spousal and child like relationships with people and and both as like being a child to someone else and being a parent to them. So like mentoring is great, like any of those work in my book. And then two, I, I think it's really important that people have some sense of meaning and purpose to like existence, even if it's. I'm an atheist. There's nothing before this and nothing after this. This is my only shot. I got to really make every day count that that counts. But like, to me, that is spirituality. Um, And so kind of on that note, um, do you think as you help different patients and stuff, do you think the average person would be helped with spirituality? Or do you think that it's completely unimportant for everyone?
1: No, I I think it's super important. Um, And, you know, like you said, it can take so many different forms and it doesn't really matter which form it takes. Um, But something that like most therapists will ask about at intake is, um, you know, what is your spiritual background? How does that factor into your life? And it's definitely, um, I guess it's a there's like a little bit of a sense of relief when I hear that someone does have a strong type of spirituality. Cause it's, it's a big building block of resilience and also community building, like you mentioned, which is really, really important. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's critical to having a healthy life basically.
0: Wow. That's so cool. And I love the way you phrase that. That was incredible. Um, it's, it's just so interesting. Like, yeah, I can't imagine what it's like in intake. I can't imagine your career. I've imagined it a million times, but I can't. And it's interesting, but I just know that I am so thankful when a good person becomes a therapist or a doctor and a teacher, any job where you're interacting with a lot of people, because, um, you know, I just think people need positive experiences with diverse groups of people to lower what I was just talking about earlier, which is like, not only stereotyping, but then insisting on stereotypes being true and not checking, you know, your logic along the way and all that. So um, Bridget, you've been an amazing guest. We are up against the wall, but I always give my guests like kind of the last little chance to talk. So is there anything you'd like to leave our audience
1: with? Um, stay off social media as much as you can, I guess.
0: Go off on that. Talk a little more about that, please.
1: Uh, So, I mean, I read a Wall Street Journal article maybe a year or two ago that was um, about how to do a dopamine detox um, with basically the, the idea was that we're sort of flooding our brains with dopamine by scrolling all the time, scrolling really stimulating apps. So I tried it. Basically, you have to go cold turkey for 30 days um and it was pretty transformative in terms of just my own attention span, my mood kind of the way that I exercise my creativity so I do try to talk to people as much as I can like my my clients right a lot of people kind of are sick of hearing about it they don't want to hear about it but um it is impacting everyone negatively whether you whether you know it or not. Um, and I think, trying to cut it out will illustrate for a lot of people just how dependent they've become
0: yeah it's it's incredible i'm uh, definitely among the flock that you are talking to because i did it a while ago and then i've cautiously crept back in because of career reasons but um I'm pretty good at it now and I can tell you I'm I'm doing pretty well but with that said being pretty good at it doesn't mean I've cut it out and then I'm not using it which is also fascinating to me because there is there's this like instant dopamine rush and there's an attraction to it so that was Really profound. I'm glad I got you to talk more about that because that was definitely a great note to end this podcast on. So, to everyone listening at home, Bridget Riser does not sell anything to the masses. She does not have like a social media website type thing. So, thank you so much, Bridget, for coming on the show. You're a great, special person, and I'm glad that you're doing everything you are in your life. And gosh, I know this is so like sounds condescending. You're so young. You're 33. You have so many awesome years ahead of you. Oh, thank you. But my 30s were more fun than my 20s, and my 40s are more fun than my 30s. So, I can just tell you that, like, I think you're a similarly minded person. So, uh, look forward to what's coming. Uh, Keep helping people untangle their relationships. And if you want to help our show out, everyone, please head over to Mikeyopp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and sign up for free for the weekly email. You've been listening to Coffin Talk. My name is Mike Oppenheim. It's been an interview with Bridget Reiser, and we will see you soon. Thank you.